What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA Podcast. I'm Tyler, and back with me today to recap our huge win over the Florida Gators is my longtime co-host, Curtis. And man, what a big win that was. For the second consecutive season, we were able to use the bye week before the cocktail party to rally the troops after a disappointing outcome and just come out swinging against one of our biggest rivals in a game that has been so instrumental in deciding the ACC East champion more often than not over the past decade or so. The lead up to the game, it was kind of one of those weird situations where, yeah, we were favored by the odds makers in Vegas, but most people out there, including three out of four people on the game day panel, were picking the Gators to knock us off on Saturday. Florida became, like, honestly, in a lot of the areas, they became the trendy outright upset pick as the kind of natural perception of our team. Let's be real, it had taken a hit after that South Carolina loss, but our guys blocked out the noise, and they really dominated this game more so than the final score, I think, would actually indicate. And in the process, at least temporarily, I would say, because they never really go away, but at least temporarily, silenced some of our doubters. And now... We have taken the outright one-game lead in the SEC East. Still tight. Still a lot of football left to be played with a very tough stretch to end the season. Starting this week with Missouri, which is going to be a massive game. We need everyone to get out there early, be loud, be proud, and bring that home field advantage. But if we can find a way to win two of these next three SEC games, with one of those being a win over Missouri. Because right now, guys, Missouri is still mathematically very much in this thing. They still have us and Florida on their schedule. They win both those games. They're going to Atlanta. So a big game. But if we can find a way to win two of these next three with one of those wins being over Missouri, we will find ourselves in Atlanta for the third straight season. But we can talk more about all of that later on this week, and we certainly will. Today, today though, I want to focus on this oh-so-sweet victory over Florida and that fool they call a coach. So, Curtis, let's start here with the big picture look at things. There has been a lot of outside negativity swirling around our program. You know that. I know that. We all know that. And judging, like, I don't know if you heard some of this, Kurt, but judging by some of the post-game comments that Kirby and really some of our players, too, some of the comments that they made, you can tell that they were all very well aware of it. You know, they always like to say, you know, we block the noise out. We don't listen to what's going on there. But they do. You can't you can't help it now. In the, in the day of social media and all the technology we have at our disposal, they hear it. it. It's out there. It started with the South Carolina game, and then the Kentucky game didn't really – like we won, but it didn't really do all that much to assuage most of those concerns because the offense just couldn't really do much in that monsoon game against the Wildcats. But as I predicted on the preview show – with our backs against the proverbial wall, we came out swinging, man. We punched Florida right in the mouth. So, Kurt, what does a bounce-back performance like that say about our guys and also maybe from a bigger perspective here, our program at large? I think it was a huge response. You know, you mentioned all the post-game comments and things. I think Kirby did the – I mean, in my opinion, I think he did a good job because – it looks like he changed the narrative for this team to it's us against the world. No one believes in us. Even our own fans doubt us. So it's only the, t- the ones inside this building and let's go out and play for each other and prove everyone else wrong. And um, sometimes I think that can make a team dangerous. And you and I both talked about this and I, I kind of mentioned it as something I thought would be good for us is the desperation. You know, we talked about it in our preview show and our team was desperate. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. I'm glad you mentioned there how Kirby's kind of, change the mentality of this team now it's it's us against the world you're totally right about that and what i would say like the big picture look i take away from this and it's not that i didn't already know this but just of the fact that kirby smart is a master motivator there's a lot of reasons why kirby smart is a great coach 
And, and, and there's still people out there who doubt him. That's fine. But in my opinion, the man is a great coach. Not perfect coach by any stretch of the imagination. Still a young coach, still learning things, clearly. But this guy is a very good football coach, and he's a master motivator. That's one of the best attributes uh, that he has and he brings to our program as our head coach. It also shows me that guys have bought into our program, right? Like, you can motivate your guys all you want, but, like, if you don't have guys that have bought into your program and your culture, then, like, when you have games like South Carolina, things can snowball pretty quick, right? They can. If you don't do a good job of bringing this team back in, you know, reel them back in, then it gets to a point where there's nothing, you know, you lose them. Yeah, and I'll be, I'll, we, 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 we go back to 2016, and no, I know none of us want to think about that. But remember some of the issues we had that year, and a lot of it was culture-based, and we had to lay the foundation. It was, it was a rough first year. We had some good moments. We also had some really tough moments. I was in that stadium in Oxford, Mississippi. We got blown out, and like, Jesus Christ, man, that sucked. Uh, but we laid the groundwork that year for the culture we have now, and we are reaping the benefits right now. So, yes, Kirby's a master motivator, but it takes – a team buying into what he's selling for it to actually matter for it to actually work. So it tells me both of those things. It also tells me the kind of leadership we have from a player standpoint inside that locker room, the kind of locker room we have, the guys that we have and credit to them, credit guys like J.R. Reed and DeAndre Swift and Jake Fromm and Andrew Thomas, all of those guys, uh, they have to go out there and lead. There's no doubt. But I also give Kirby credit here. Guys, I don't know if you guys really understand this. Kirby actively cultivates leadership in that locker room a lot of coaches sit around just hope that it happens in some years it'll happen some years it won't but kirby actively cultivates that he takes young guys that he kind of sees leadership potential in um and they, they might not be in a, in a position to be a, a major leader of the team you know as a freshman or a sophomore but he takes them and he works with them actively to get them in a position when they become upperclassmen that they are ready to take over and they are ready to lead that's part of what he does as, as a coach that's part of our program as part of our culture so all of those things that no like it might not be the sexy thing to talk about. It's not on the field kind of stuff. And it's hard for us to really know exactly what's going on behind the scenes. But those kind of things have really paid off right now. Uh, not just this year, but last year we came in a similar situation uh, after the LSU game. And I, I kind of was drawing that parallel after the South Carolina game. I, I was obviously upset about losing that game, but I wasn't uh, losing my mind, I guess. Because I, I, I was kind of in the of the mind that we've seen this before. We saw this play out last year. Uh, now, Grand South Carolina was two games before the bye week. But uh, it's very similar to LSU. We played very, very poorly, played one of our worst games of, of the year, played about as poorly as we could on offense. But we had the bye week to kind of do, play, like you said, the us against the world mentality, come out swinging, and hopefully this sets us up for a stretch run. I can't predict what's going to happen the rest of the way this regular season. I can tell you what happened last year, but at least in terms of coming into the bye week, getting ready, us against the world, come out swinging against Florida, beat Florida. We'll see what happens the rest of the way. But I think there's a lot of parallels there. Uh, it also tells me this, and maybe I'm I'm reaching here. It's just a I, I don't I hate to overreact. I'm really not trying to, but it, to me this is not just a one game type thing. Like I said, they were the LSU last year coming into the bye week. We've seen this story before. Like we might be good for an inexplicably bad performance each year, whether it was Auburn in 2017, whether it was at LSU last year, whether it was South Carolina at home this year. We might have a game like that every year. Uh, or most years, but this program is not going anywhere. It's only a matter of time until we win it all. It's only a matter of time. And again, I'm not trying to overreact to one game. I think this is just the, the latest bit of evidence of that. So we kind of reinforce that uh, that belief that I have in what we're going to be able to do here in the very, very near future. But um, all right. And the rest of the way, like we did in our recap of our last game against Kentucky, I know it's been a couple of weeks since we had a game to recap. 
But if you remember back there, uh, we're going to use listener questions from the mailbag to guide our discussion the rest of the way. We're still going to hold a lot of the questions that were sent in for this week's mailbag for the official mailbag show. But we're going to use some of the questions that pertain specifically to this game against Florida to kind of guide us the rest of the way. We're going to start off here. Keith would like to know what was the biggest reason that we won on Saturday. So, Kurt, we're going to stay with a big picture look here. What would you say to that question, the biggest reason that we won on Saturday? Because I think there's a couple. What would you kind of pinpoint as the one biggest reason? To me, I think the catalyst for everything was the offensive line. Jake had an outstanding performance, but uh, to me, as good as he played, I don't know if that's possible without the offensive line giving him the time that he had. Um, You saw if you were watching the CBS broadcast, they were doing it where he was getting at least three to four seconds on all of our big plays, and especially on those third-down conversions. Um, And even then – you know, you looked at, I want to say Florida had about 29 sacks. Maybe I may be wrong, but somewhere yeah, around there. Yeah, it was 29 there. sacks so far, coming the year. Yeah. Yeah, 29 coming into this this game, and we didn't give up a single sack. I mean, they very rarely got pressure on Jake in general. And I think that they were really the catalyst for what got our offense finally going. Yeah, dude, I am 100% with you here. That's the first thing in my notes. Actually, I've got a couple reasons why we won this game. And I'm going to talk about all of them here. But to answer the question from Keith, and thank you for the question, Keith. Uh, if, if I had to pick out one reason, that, that the biggest reason that we went on Saturday, I'm totally with you there, Curtis. It was our offensive line's ability to protect Jake from give up zero sacks in this game. Like you mentioned, Curtis, this was the team that was first in the SEC coming in the game in sacks on the year, 29 sacks in the year. They were actually first in the league by a pretty wide margin. I think Auburn was second coming into this week with 23 or 24 sacks. Uh, but as we laid on the preview show, yeah, they were ninth in sack rate nationally. But, guys, we were first in sacks allowed, and this was a strength on strength, the match of the Titans right here, and we won. We, we won this one. And I told you guys, for me in the preview show, we always like to close it out with our 3-2-1, three, three reasons to be optimistic, two reasons to be concerned, and one key to the game. And my key to the game was protecting Jay from winning that battle, being able to hold that pass rush in check. If we were able to do that, I thought we had a really, really good chance. And lo and behold, we did just that and actually exceeded any expectation I actually had. I thought we had a good chance. But he gave up no sacks. And there were times like a little bit of pressure, but really nothing n- nothing that uh, really changed the game in any way whatsoever to help Florida out there. Uh, I-, I thought that Andrew Thomas played really well out there. I thought even uh, Isaiah Wilson, who's a bigger guy, maybe not as quick as Andrew Thomas, there were some times where he got beat on a couple of inside moves where Jake was able to get rid of the football. But as a whole, that offensive line just completely balled out from a pass pro perspective. It was it was unbelievable. And say what you want about Jake Fromm. We're, we're going to get to Jake Fromm here in a minute. But love him or hate him, I, whatever, if you give that man time, he's going to carve you up. All right, he, He's going to carve you up. Think about the games where Jake Fromm has struggled the most, the games people like to beat him up for whether it was uh, going back to his true freshman year, like I mentioned a second ago, Auburn on the road. Then you've got at LSU last year. you got South Carolina this year. What did all three of those games have in common, Curtis? Uh, poor quarterback play. Poor quarterback play. And I think the reason we had poor quarterback play is because Jake Fromm was under fire in all three of those games. Now, South Carolina didn't consistently get him on the ground, but they pressured him over and over again in that game. Auburn's line did not play well in pass protection in that game. Go back to Auburn 2017. That was just, I mean, that was complete. That was, that was just a terrible performance offensively from the get-go, essentially. But he was under duress that entire game. LSU last year, same story. But when you protect Jake Fromm, because like, we know, like, one of the, I don't, I don't know if you want to call it a shortcoming, but it's just the reality of who he is as a quarterback. He's not the most mobile guy in the world. Now, I do think he does a really good job of pocket awareness and moving and sliding within the pocket. I think he does a great job there that most people don't really take the time to actually notice. He kind of buys himself some time. Uh, but when you give him time in the pocket, 
He is going to find the open receiver. If you give him time, because what he does well is he diagnoses what defenses are doing. If you give him time to do that post-step, he will find the open man more often than not, and more often than not, he will put it on the money. Doesn't hit every single one of them. He had one against uh, Florida where early in the game, you and I were kind of texting about this one, Kurt. D-Rob had a step. actually got D-Rob mashed up on Jeremiah Moon, who's, who's essentially an outside linebacker. It was a great play call by, by uh, James Coley. And Jake just underthrew him. Jake had him and he underthrew him, but Jake responded really well from that. So he doesn't hit him all the time, but more often than not, he hits those plays. So uh, that was huge for us. Now, a couple of other things that I noticed, really what I, what I told you guys, you know, the, the key to the game was being able to protect Jake. My second key to the game coming into it was our ability to stop their run game with our front six. And Curtis, would you say we did a pretty good job of that? I mean, I guess you could possibly say so. Yeah, you know, just a little bit, right? Uh, 19 carries to four, 21 yards rushing. I mean, if you ask Dan Mullen, he's going to say we did nothing special. <laughs> he, what, what kind of, I mean, how much of a joke is that, man? Like, I mean, he also said they played good on third downs. Yeah, play, yeah we, we played really well on third down. You did? Because George completed, we converted 67% of our, of our third down opportunities. But yeah, you played really well, right? Second year in a row, just bizarre press conference after this game. Just bizarre. The second year, I mean, last year was maybe a little bit more bizarre. He's like, like he had these like wide open, I mean, it's just weird. But this year, again, bizarre. Just He's just a bizarre, weird dude, man. Like, I, I don't know, man. He's a weird guy. Whatever. Uh, I'm, I'm happy we have our guy. But yeah, our ability to stop the run game with our front six. 19 carries, 21 yards rushing, 1.1 yards a rush. That was huge because what it allowed us to do was play coverage behind that and largely hold their very good wide receiving group in check. And, yeah, they hit some plays. Don't get me wrong. But that guy, Kirby is right when he says that is as – like they're not quite Alabama level. They're not. But, like, would you say they're, like, maybe top two or three to lead? Like, I would put them close to LSU. I mean, I think they have more guys than what LSU has. LSU's top two guys, Chase and Jefferson, might be better than – yeah, I was gonna say. Guys. I think LSU. I think LSU just has a better quarterback, but receiver core. I don't know if you. I mean, outside of Alabama, I don't know if there's a better receiving core in the nation. Uh, that includes a tight end. Actually, like, yeah, yeah, you throw in the tight end as well. Yeah, you throw in Kyle Pitts is as good as there is in in the country at that position, and just the depth at wide receiver. They have a bunch of different guys. Maybe not, maybe not that one dude outside of Pitts. It's just like you know a game breaker like Jerry Judy or or Jamar Chase for LSU or something, but they have just a a number of them go out there and make plays. They kind of complement each other really well. So uh, it was really important for us to be able to play coverage behind that and and stop stop the run game with our front six, and, man, we absolutely did that. So what I said were the two keys coming into the game, we won both those battles. And to me, that was was what it was. Uh, And then the third down conversions, you mentioned that, Curtis. That's just massive. 12 of 18 on third down, 20 of 32 on third downs over the last two seasons against Todd Grantham defense. Guys, that's 63% uh, third down conversions against Todd Grantham's four defense of the past two years. And to kind of put that in perspective, right now, this year in 2019, Ohio State leads the country with 57% third down conversions. So that's astronomical. Like that's that's truly elite. That's as good as you can possibly do on third down. It really is. And on the flip side, we held them to two of nine on third down, 22%. And over the last two years, we've held them to a combined six of 21 on third downs, 28% conversion for them. So if you look at the last couple of years, including this year, uh, it really third downs might be the difference of both those contests. And what that tells me is that, number one, we have the, uh, a better run game because we're getting into third and short situations more than they are. And we have the better quarterback and we have better defensive coaches. That's just that's the fact of the matter for me in, in all three regards. And then another thing I want to point out here, going back and rewatching the game, and I know this is uh, 
I don't say myopic, but it was early in the game. I think we kind of set the tone early. Florida had the ball first. Mullen said after the game they were trying to get the lead early. You could tell they were trying to uh, because they don't think we play well from behind. And I don't know. Uh, I, I guess there's maybe a little bit of merit to that some degree. But we, we've had plenty of games where we were behind and came back and won. It's fine. Uh, we can go back to Auburn. This is a game. Go back to the Rose Bowl. We've had games like that, but whatever. Uh, but those first two drives the Florida had, we got defensive stops on those first two drives. The first drive, we got a fourth down stop. After they started, it was, it was second away on the first down play. They had one of their best runs. Actually, it was their best run of the day. Get a nine-yard game by P. Ryan, second and one, and they did not gain another yard from that spot. Uh, they go to the fourth down pass to Kyle Pitts. Richard County makes a great play on the ball, breaks it up there, and uh, turnover on downs. And then the second drive, they open that up with another uh, game, big game to Pitts. It's a 24-yard gain, essentially the 50-yard line. And then we have Aziz Ojolari, the big sack, pushing them way behind the chains. I told you guys – John Forsythe, that left tackle, he was a liability, and Aziz absolutely tore him up on that play and made a huge play. So getting those two stops to open the game and then kind of uh, taking the control of the game from that point, I think that really helped us grab the momentum and really keep that throughout most of the game until late. McFlora tried to make a run late, but we were able to hold them off. So all those reasons were big, but I'm going to go back to what you said, Curtis, there. To me, it was our offensive line's ability to protect Jake Fromm. Uh, I do want to ask you one more question about the offensive line. We got a question from Josh here. Uh, Josh, speaking of the offensive line, says Trey Hill had a solid game, but seemed to have his hands full at times. Do you think this is due to his youth or technique? So, Kurt, I know we've talked about Trey Hill a little bit over the past couple of weeks. What do you make of what Josh is asking there? Like, what are like, Trey Hill's been good? Don't get me wrong. I, I'm not trying to rip this guy. He's been good. But I think Josh makes a good point. There were times, even on Saturday, where he had his hands full. Is that more? Like, how do you explain? It? Is it youth? Is it technique? Is it something else? How do you explain that? I think it's a little bit of technique, and I mean, I don't know. He has trouble getting off the ball quickly. I don't know if that's technique or what you say that is, but at the same time, I also well, think he like, to snap the ball. That that's I mean, but all centers deal with that, I guess. Yeah, his snaps aren't always perfect, so I think that is technique because he can obviously do it correctly. I think that sometimes he tries to get off the ball, he tries to hurry his snaps to get off the ball quicker, which hurts his snaps. I just I don't know. Maybe it's his athletic ability. I mean, I don't know exactly how to portray, you know, explain that because there is a problem with him getting off the ball quick. But sometimes I also think he plays with poor leverage because, I don't know, they seem to get under him. Um, you know, there was a couple runs where we ended up getting maybe two or three yards, but it, I think we could have maybe gotten a little bit more um, where he was getting pushed in the backfield at times, especially when we were trying to get to the edge. There were times, but we were ended up having to uh, – the running backs were having to delay it a little bit and then cut it up early because there was um, push by the defensive line. Yeah, and I – I think technique is certainly part of it. He's still a young guy, man. Like, this is his first year as a starter. So I, I still am very high on Trey Hill. I mean, think back to Lamont Gilliard. I think Lamont Gilliard was really, really good for us last year and did not get enough praise for that. I think a lot of people just kind of stuck on what he did early in his career. And he has some issues at times, getting put on skates at times. But I thought he had a really good senior year for us last year. And I, I, we can't expect Trey Hill to be what Lamont was for us last year. Lamont was a senior Played a lot of football for us. He was a grown man there. Trey's still young. Trey's a big physical guy. He's got a great, like, like a tree trunk of a lower half. But he's still young. He's still got to get in the weight room, continue to, to to fill out, to get stronger. And he's got to learn more what to do. He, he I, I still have confidence in knowing what to do. But I think part of it is when you're inexperienced, maybe there's at least a little doubt in your mind on you know, what you're doing this play, what you're doing that play. And if you don't exactly feel comfortable what you're doing, that causes you to play maybe a, a half step slower, just a millisecond slower. And that can be the difference – and you getting the leverage and and being there there to make the play and to push your guy out of the way or getting beat on a play. So I, I think it's a little bit of both, but I'm still very high on Trey. I think he's gonna he has all the tools it takes to be a good player. I just think he needs a little more seasoning. Uh, that's just my take. I will say though, I'm like you look ahead a couple weeks here to Auburn. 
Uh, you got Derek Brown, and they moved Derek Brown all over the place. They play him a lot. I think he's most effective, honestly, when they play him over the center at like a zero tech. That concerns me because right now I think Derek Brown might eat Trey Hill's lunch at this point. I, I hope I'm wrong. I hope Trey responds really well. But that's I know we, that's we got Missouri. Missouri's a very tough opponent this week. But looking ahead a little bit, that does that does concern me. There's no doubt there. And before we move on to our next segment, I do want to take a quick second to remind you guys about Vivid Seats. And once again, the Bulldog Nation showed up in a big way this time in Jacksonville. Vivid Seats made that possible for me. And I know a lot of other dog fans can say the same thing. I found exactly the seats I was looking for at a price that was actually even better than I expected. Vivid Seats had me covered the entire way. And we need you guys over the next couple of weeks as we try to clinch the SEC East. It starts this week against Missouri at home. So if you're looking for tickets to this week's game, I'm telling you guys, check out Vivid Seats today for the best selection, bar none, and best prices in the business. And to make it even better, Vivid Seats has actually started a new Vivid Seats rewards program that allows fans like you and me to earn credit back. So go to the Apple Store or Google Play and download the Vivid Seats app. Fans are automatically enrolled in the Vivid Seats Rewards Loyalty Program. Every ticket purchase is backed by a 100% buyer guarantee. And when it's time to buy, new users enter the promo code OVERTIME at checkout to receive a discount up to $100. All right, moving on. Um, I would be remiss if I didn't go with our next player that we're going to talk about. As the self-appointed president of the Jake Fromm Fan Club, obviously, yesterday was a proud day for me. As Jake Fromm had one of the better games of his career and the biggest game of the year to date, he wasn't perfect. We laid that out earlier. But, man, he was so good and so clutch down the stretch. Overall, he went 20 of 30, which is 67% completion percentage, 279 yards, two touchdowns, 9.3 yards per pass, and led two big responses to Florida scores to stop any momentum they were gathering. And so what David asks here is what impressed us the most about Jake Fromm's performance against the Gators? So thanks for the question, David. Curtis, how would you answer that? Um, I think I'm going to come back with uh, his response. Um, I think you mentioned it. True. Um, one of the biggest things when it comes to Jake Fromm, and he's when he's on, he's on. Um, but when he, he's one of these quarterbacks that I think is very streaky, that when he messes up, sometimes it can carry on. Um, it can spiral out of control. So after that first pass to D. Rob, that was underthrown, that very well could have been a pick. Um, yeah. I wasn't sure how he was going to respond, but he came out firing, especially on that drive on all those long third downs and throughout the rest of the game. I thought he threw the ball very well. So, I mean, um, just the response he had and even the mocks. I mean, there were a couple times where, um, you know, they got some pressure and he was like a pinball back there, bounce around, but yet never took a sack, was willing to just tuck it and run, try to get some yards where he could. Uh, I thought he played very, very well outside that throw to D-Rob, um, you know, he tried to make something happen on that throw to Cager in the end zone where, you know, just a couple inches down and it's probably a touchdown, but I'm not going to blame him on that. It's hard to follow on was, that he one. Was, he, he, he almost made that play, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he was trying to create some extra time to get out of the pocket and things like that. So, I mean, and he was going to his left, which isn't always easy. But, um, I mean, I thought he played a very, very good game and uh, led us very well and put us in a position to win. And, I mean, and when the throws were there, he made them, especially on those big third downs. And just like that throw to Cager, beautiful throw, um, hit him in stride and let him go. Jake Fromm, man, say what you want about him. That dude is a warrior. You're right, the pinball back there, like, you know – Jake Fromm is not going to be confused with a dual threat quarterback ever. Uh, but man, he just, he goes and he makes plays. He, he, when we need him, 
he responds and we needed him. We needed him on Saturday and, and he just, he played one of the best games of his career. There's no doubt. I think his whole arsenal was on full display. The accuracy, the, the decision-making before snap, post-snap, the pocket awareness. I don't think really many people give him credit for it. I don't really know what they're looking for there, but his ability just to slide ever so slightly and subtly and create throwing lanes for himself and just the guts, man. Just the guts that guy played with on Saturday. Just absolutely unbelievable stuff. And, and I know you guys discount everything I say about Jay Fromm because I'm the president of the fan club. That's all right. So I'm glad you were through that, Curtis. I know you've been critical at times. I think just deservedly so at times. But he just stepped up when this team needed him the most. Adversity hit a couple of times late in that game. And he responded. For, you know, they scored right before the half. They get, get the field goal right before half. And he leads us down, gets another field goal there. Like you said, just barely missed a touchdown uh, down there. Uh, then after Florida cuts it, to what was it cuts it to six right and yeah. then we and gotta give, we're gonna talk about james coley in a second gotta give james coley a lot of credit dials up a gorgeous play but from hits the ball hits him in stride let's uh cater just walk into the end zone and that's all that was pretty much all she wrote there just the responses when adversity started to hit and it, it, adversity against south carolina and we didn't respond as well but we it wasn't just jake but the team at large especially jake from leading the quarterback position responded when it when it started to, to rain a little bit in that game um, and then you mentioned the third down, just um, unbelievable. Just ice in his veins, ice in the dude's veins. 10 of 13, by my calculations, I went back and counted this, 10 of 13 on third downs, nine of those 10 completions go for either first downs or touchdowns. Unbelievable. Crunch time, clutch play by Jake Fromm. There's just no doubt about it. So I, I want to ask you this next question. This is not a question from a from a fan. This is from me. Do you think that a performance like this will silence all the Jake Fromm doubters? Because they're still out there, very much out there. Um, no, because there's going to – I mean, the thing is, like you mentioned, there's always that bad performance. So until that doesn't happen, you just don't know. But like every quarterback in America ha- like has those games. Every player in America has those games, but they don't get killed like Jake Fromm does. It's just crazy to me. The the scrutiny that this guy puts gets put under. Um, but to answer my own question, like I'm with you, no, like this is not going to silence it, the people who doubt him. This is not going to silence them because there is just it's it, it's irrational hate, honestly. And yes, he has that that one game a year or so where he doesn't play that well. But again, like guys, these are college athletes; they are not pros. They they have those games, but Jake's the one he just gets reamed when he has a poor game. And I, I think it's just irrational hate for him from some parts of, of this fan base. Um, and no matter what he does, just, it's kind of like they just sit there and wait for this guy to, to make the, even the most minor mistake. And then they just rip him up and down for that minor mistake. Whoever does anything well when he has a game like this, they're, 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 they're quiet now. But I'm sure if, against Missouri, if he misses a throw or makes a bad play or wrong read, oh, they'll be out in full force. So it's a rational hate. So, no, it's not going to silence them. They're still going to be there. But I just don't get it. And, again, I know I'm the president of the Jay Fromm fan club. But look, this guy does everything the right way. He does everything the right way. He's the kind of guy you want to cheer for that works, who leads. He cares about his team. He's invested in the team. And like, I, so I, I call it irrational hate. I don't understand. I just don't understand how you can hate this guy. Is he the best quarterback in the history of college football? No, of course not. He's the best quarterback in the country this year. No, he's not. But he is an elite quarterback. Make no doubt about it. And uh, I love the guy. And I, I'm just very, very, very thankful. That, uh, that he's our guy. There's no doubt about it. Uh, now, another guy who has been getting killed in the aftermath of the South Carolina game is offense coordinator James Coley. National media, local media, fans alike, you and I, Kurt, has been in this. We've all been destroying this guy for two-plus weeks. So Corey wants to know what we thought of the game that James Coley called against Florida and if he earned some respect after that game. Thanks for the question, Corey. What do you think, Kurt? Um, I mean, yeah. I mean, 
I thought he called a very good game, kept um, everything off balance, and I mean, he wasn't as predictable. And I think the biggest thing is that's not being talked about is we were two plays away from absolutely blowing. Or, I mean, maybe even three of blowing the doors off Florida. Yes. Jake doesn't overthrow or underthrow that first pass. That's a touchdown to D. Rob. Um, number two, it. I, I mean, to me, it's more Landers, but that oh pass, the pass to Matt Landers, we only got one hand on because if it's not touchdown. right to him, he can't. He can't catch anything, um, but that was a touchdown. And then number three, if Matt Landers, once again, does not hold, touchdown. That right there is three touchdowns that James Coley called up that were perfect plays. And if they don't – if they were executed correctly, we absolutely blow the doors off Florida. Yeah. And the one that cage in the back of the end zone, when, like you mentioned, that Jake was rolling out and just missed him by a fingertip. Um, all those – that's four yeah. plays right there that easily could have been touchdowns. So if we get two of those touchdowns, we blow them out. It's a three-score game. Um, yeah, absolutely. And, you know – you're right. I think but here's what I would say. Like from a statistical standpoint, of course, the naysayers they'll always be out there. From a statistical standpoint, someone could I could see how someone could point out the numbers and say, well, you know what, it really wasn't that great of offensive performance. Uh, well, and especially because they'll compare it to what Florida gave up against LSU. How LSU put up all these points, all these numbers. Different the offense. thing was, yeah, and as you saw though, also LSU was in a shootout because they couldn't control the ball offensively. They'd go out there and score, and then Florida would go score. No, we controlled the ball. And really took the ball out of Florida's offense, and really it hurt them because we controlled the tempo. We were running a lot of plays and tiring out their defense and not giving their offense the ball, which is really what old time Bama used to be, especially yeah. when you play a team that's explosive like Florida is offensively. Absolutely. Speaking of LSU, you're right. Like it's just weird. Now I know that they 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 haven't lost games. So I get that they're. They should be ranked higher than us. There's no doubt there. I get that. But the national reception is very odd. Like everyone's how great LSU is. So their offense has put up big numbers, right? Obviously. But their defense has been average. They've been pretty good. You know, what LSU is right, doing right now this year, I have to give them credit, is they're playing to their strengths, right? Their strengths are receivers, and, and Joe Burrow is a good quarterback. And we, we also play to our strengths. Our strengths are running the football with a big offensive line and playing really good defense. It looks different than LSU, but – it's it can still be just as effective if we play our game, right? It really can be. It would just it's a little bit different than what LSU does. But yeah, I, I mean, from a statistical standpoint, like yeah, three hundred ninety eight yards total offense, pretty solid. Twenty four points, solid, good enough, right? But it wasn't like you know we put up five fifty, six hundred yards, fifty points. Uh, but again, that's just not what our offense right now is all consistently built to do. And Florida's pretty good, guys. It's a rivalry game, so you got to factor that in. But when you look at when you kind of peel the layers back and actually look at what he was doing. I think he made a number of adjustments in this game that we've been asking for. Uh, and, and so what I told you guys, to expect us to come out here and do a complete 180, be in a totally different offense, a revamped offense, you were fooling yourselves. That was not going to happen. You don't do that midseason. You, just don't, you don't have time for install. You can adjust a few things here and there, but you can't revamp your entire offense. That's, real, that's ridiculous. That's not going to happen. But we did make adjustments, and it's what I thought would happen. Now, there's a couple examples I'll give you here. Right before the half, all right, this, we're talking about with Landers here, Kurt. We go three straight runs. Floor was kind of a more of a nickel passing look because we were in like a two-minute situation. So we, we, we run the ball three straight times with a number with a, with a little bit of success. We had two seven-yard gains and, and then Swiftbrook a 30 yards. So 44 yards rushing on three straight rushes, which forced Florida back in their, into their base defense. And then what Coley did is he dials up that touchdown pass to Landers that Landers should have made. Like, Landers doesn't even make an effort on that ball. Like, I, I, I part of me wonders, like, did he even know the ball was on? Did he see the ball? Like, I, I can't, I can't explain what happened there. I mean, that's how he always is. Unless it's in his catch radius, he's not going to make a play. You guys drive me crazy, man. Like, I, I, I told you guys before the season, I thought he had, the, he had the potential to be really, really, really good. And I still believe that, but I, I, it's a, it's in his head. I don't, I can't explain it. I, I can't, but it's in his head because he has the potential. And 
the tools to be really freaking good for us. And our coaches keep trying him out there because I think they see the same things, but it just it hasn't clicked for him yet. And they're, we're waiting for it to click. But man, like I, I, I was texting, I can't remember if it was you or my dad, but uh, I, what I said after that play was, if that was either Pickens or Cager, that's a touchdown, right? Yeah, and I, I said the same exact thing because you like you mentioned Cager, and we already talked about it. he lay, he goes he lays out balls to the wall trying to make that play in the end zone for Fromm. Um, and you know what? I've seen Pickens do that. As was, well, you know what made me even more excited when you watch the replay? Guess who's right there jumping up and down, cheering him on, like pumped up. They laid out George Pickens, George and Pickens. that's why you know that that's what they do. That they'll give it all to make that big play, and it, that's I just don't get why he's just not willing to do it. It's, I can't, and I, I've never talked to the guy. I don't know him, so it's hard for me to get inside his head. I'm going to try to. It's just there's something, something weird going on. There's something, something's up. I don't know. I can't figure it out. But that should have been a touchdown. And then uh, what's one of the things I've been calling for for a while now, like I said, it's just simple things. Giving Jake easy completions, giving us easy five, six yard completions that can keep us ahead of the chains. Option routes, run option routes, run whip routes. And we did a couple of times running backs. We did with Harrion uh, with some success there. That was a sight for sore eyes for me. Then uh, the, the Harrion catch, by the way, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Uh, just one of the best catches I've seen, man. And we, we've seen a couple highlight reel catches this year with Pickens. But, man, that was about as good as I've seen. It really was. just unbelievable. I mean, and I love that guy. Brian Harrion, love that guy, man. Just he stuck around when he, in this day and age of transfer portals and leaving and transferring all that. Stuck around way this time. The guy plays 110 miles an hour every single play. And I just love for him to have any sort of success. Just a just a beast of a play, man. Uh, but after that play, following that play, what we did is we come out, we go six off, like immediately following that play. We come out with the six offensive line, six offensive linemen look where we have Cade Mays at, at tight end. And we have not thrown the ball out of that. I've not seen us throw the ball out of that look one time this year. But we go play action to Cager on the dig route uh, and had not shown that all year except another score there, except the field goal. Those two plays back-to-back except that field goal there. Uh, there was another play where I, I've been – like we keep running this jet motion to, to Cook, right? Well, I've been calling on first. Yeah, so oh, they throw the backside. Yes, throw the backside screen, right? With, we had to start doing we something. Knew it was gonna, we knew that, Yeah, we knew it was going to eventually come. We've always been asking, you know, do something. Well, we thought it would eventually come, but <laughs> – I guess it took until game eight. Well, right? I thought they they called some good plays too. I mean, there's that one where uh, Swift should have pulled that ball in. If he pulls that ball in, he's beating that linebacker that's on him for at least the first down. Oh yeah, the one that Swift dropped. Absolutely, that's another one. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, so I thought they did a good. Job. I thought this was one of his better games getting matchups that we've been begging him to get better matchups, and that's he's what you seen saw. People open, right? That's that. That's yeah. what we've been saying. Everybody's that. That's been the kind of echo chamber. He can't scheme anybody open. Well, that changed on Saturday. Now we'll see if it continues to change and it becomes a theme. I don't know, but that changed on Saturday for sure. The Cager long touchdown was unbelievable. I mean, I wish I could. I wish there's like a visual. I wish we had a TV show. I could kind of just walk you through exactly why that play was so open. It was a gorgeously designed play we had it was kind of a bunch formation there you have pickens on the left he runs the post well first off it's a play action right so w- when we when we go play action i wish we did more play action that's one thing i wish we did more we did more of it on saturday which is which was nice to see we go play action and they flow strong to the boundary to the play action side there to the left side and then you've got pickens around the post in the middle of the field that kind of drags everyone away then from the back side you've got cager sneaking through and he gets kind of lost in the shuffle when they're flowing so hard to play action and basically what we had we have with the harry was the guy that we play action to and he kind of continues to run kind of like a wheel route the sideline which then put their linebacker i think it was ventrell miller into a no-win situation he was in conflict either he takes the wheel route right there with harry or he drops back and takes cager he kind of he just was kind of lost out there in space didn't know exactly what to do, hesitated, and Cager ends up being wide open for the touchdown. 
Credit to Jake Fromm putting the ball in the money, but more credit to James Coley for dialing that play up. And that was a massive answer because I was freaking out in the stands, man. Because like, oh my God, we've we've settled for field goal to field goal. We didn't you step on the throw. We had the chance. Now they cut it within six. They got all the momentum. They're gonna get the ball back. They're gonna go up. We're gonna be down by a point. No, no, we had it. We had something to say about that. So just absolutely gorgeous, gorgeous. And before we move on, I do want to tell you guys about MyBookie.ag. Those of you who are feeling confident in our dogs heading into Jacksonville and put some money down for us to cover that spread on MyBookie, you're feeling pretty good today for more reasons than us just getting the W against the Gators. The line for the Missouri game still hasn't been released yet due to the uncertainty surrounding Kelly Bryant's status as we sit here today on Sunday night. But if you're looking to make the most of your football knowledge, go to mybookie.ag where they have the most competitive lines anywhere out there. They have the most variety in terms of the kind of bets you can lay down. Of course, they have picks on the money line against the spread. They've got totals. They've got halves. They've got parlays. Every kind of prop bet you can think of. And they've got all the sports. They've got football. They've got basketball. Now at the NBA star, they've got PGA, NASCAR, soccer, and so much more. Now is the best time to get on the action. Sign up at mybookie.ag and use promo code OVERTIME and they will match your first deposit. Again, promo code OVERTIME and new users get their first deposit doubled. Mybookie.ag. You play, you win, you get paid. And our, another group, Kurt, that's been questioned over the past couple of weeks has been our wide receiver core. And about that wide receiver core, Matthew asked, how much better should we feel about the wide receiver room after a 280-yard passing effort against a defense that likes to call itself DBU? So, Kurt, what do you think about that? I think you got to feel good, but I think it also goes hand-in-hand hand with the offense coordinator. He, Like we said, he did a good job of scheming people open, doing what was working best for us. And if he can continue to do that, then we have the receivers that are good enough to do it. We just have to put them in a better position where in the South Carolina game when they really struggled, we were not getting putting them in a position to make plays. Uh, we were really playing into what South Carolina wanted. And I think that that's why I said I think they go hand-in-hand hand because if, if, we'll, if we'll coach them and put them in a position to play, I think that we're, we're fine. Yeah, we were moving guys around a little bit. We were using our running backs. We were putting guys in spots where they were um, not necessarily playing online scrimmage. They, they can get kind of a free release there. So we did a better job, like we said, of scheming things open, of giving these guys opportunities, attacking all parts of the field, not just throwing the back shoulder fades. Do a lot of different things um, that I think that we needed to do. We had to make these adjustments if we wanted our offense to get back on track. And and we did these things. Again, like, like I said, when you have a bye week, it's hard to do that in week, right? When you when you have one week to prepare for your next opponent, you just spend so much time getting ready for them. But when you have a bye week, you really have time to kind of sit down, self-evaluate, make some adjustments, make some changes, clean some things up. And we did that. I, I just hope that this is something we can kind of carry on the rest of the way. Because if we can play like that offensively, uh, I think that we, uh, we have a good chance to make our way back into Atlanta. It's certainly far from uh, – over this season we got a lot of ball left to play and we have not clinched anything yet but if we continue to play like that i feel pretty good and like lawrence cager curtis how big was it like we said like coming into the game on the preview show that would be really big to have him back healthy how big was it actually had this guy back i think it was big not just because of what he did on the field but i think he brings um some leadership that i really believe is lacking the wide receiver room and i think that he's one of these guys that gets everyone going i think he's been tremendous for our team especially these young players you can tell he's taking george pickens under his wing so i think he does a good job of bringing energy when he's on the field what a pickup man i mean god what a pickup what a what a move by kirby and james cole to get that guy in here man just that dude's a beast and that guy's making himself some money right now i'm telling you i don't know where he'll get drafted he's gonna get drafted and he's making himself some money um, you're right. The leadership he brings to the table uh just the, the physicality he plays with i'm telling you i, I told you guys 
when I, I said in the game against South Carolina, when that game was close, when he went down, I said, that's not good for us. And we talked about that after the game. Like if Cage hadn't gone down, I still, I still feel pretty good saying that we probably win that game because Tyler Simmons is not in that game. Uh, he's a, he's a big time player for us right now. There's no doubt he's our number one guy. And I think him and Pickens really complement each other very well because Pickens, actually, let me go ahead and get to this next question. Josh had a question here. So Josh also asked, his Cager had a career day, but it seemed like it had a lot to do with George Pickens. The majority of the time that Cager was open, it was due to the fact of double coverage on Pickens. Did you guys see that? So, Kurt, do you agree? Did you kind of see what Josh is pointing out there? Yeah, um, and that's my big thing, that why there's, why it helps. Because when it is George Pickens, just him, that he's getting double teamed, then we don't really have the other guys that can still make the big plays like they can. Um and it's the same thing when they're in the game together, they're either going to try to focus on one or the other. You can't do it on both. So say they were focusing on Cage or putting two people on him, then we're going to draw, maybe flip it and draw patterns that open up picking. So we're going to use whoever they're focusing on to our advantage to open it up for someone else. Yeah, because what happens, guys, when the way teams play us defensively and they get extra guys in the box, they typically only play with one high safety looks on standard downs. That's what's happening. And what they were doing when Pickens, when when Cager was not in the game is they're shading Pickens because they don't they don't have any any concerns about Tyler Simmons or Matt Landers, whoever else is on the other side. So they were shading towards Pickens and trying to take him away. Well, now with Cager, you can't shade both sides. If you're playing with one high safety, you're either playing you're, you're playing some sort of zone, you're playing some sort of man, whatever you're playing, but you can't shade both sides with one high safety. So one of those guys, if it's a man coverage, you're going to have uh, – he's going to be completely manned up over there with no safety help over the top. Now, you can play different kinds of zones, but so there's different things that we can do with that too. So having both those guys in the game, I think it's massive for offense. I think it's one of the reasons that Jake was able to bounce back like he did on Saturday. You know, Jake played really well, but the offensive line helped him. Receivers helped him. It was all around just a really, really good day. But uh, all right, next up, I want to I move on to this here. It seems like at this point we're just taking our defense for granted. Like it really does. Most of the talk about this team is sitting around the offense and it's perceived struggles over the past couple of weeks. It's kind of like, oh, yeah, the defense is really good. But that kind of just stops there. I feel like that kind of gets glossed over. And none of people are really giving this unit the love that I think it deserves. For the third straight game and for the sixth time in eight games, our defense has held an opponent to under 300 total yards of offense. This time holding the Mr. Media darling himself, Dan Mullen, you know, the offensive genius of all offensive geniuses, according to the national media at least, holding them to 278 yards on the day. And in that same vein, Brent asked, was this game more about our defense being that good or the Florida offense being overrated? Thanks for the question, Brent. Kurt, how would you look at that situation? I think it's a little bit of both. I would say 70% of how good our defense is because um, they've made the plays when it had to be made. They bowed their necks and stopped Florida when we needed to. Um, but I also think Dan Mullen just outsmarted himself trying to be, you know, Mr. Offense, you know, saying how we wanted to get ahead because Georgia can't come back. Because what sticks out to me, what changed, in my opinion, what changed the entire momentum of the game is that very first drive where they end up not getting the first down on the third down play. And on a fourth and inches with a 240-something pound quarterback, yeah. he throws the ball to the – I mean, I get Pitts is as good as he is, but it's fourth and inches and he throws the ball, ends up not getting it. To me, that changed – the entire game and I, I like we made the play but I really do question their play calling and things like that in that type of situation um but once we really got out of that drive I think our defense controlled the game for the most part and, and especially in the la- the fourth quarter I mean we were just trying to make them put together long drives to score to beat us I told you guys when I was when I had a true mobile quarterback that dual threat kind of guy quarterback that Dan Mullen's operating with about half of his off uh, of his yeah play. because if Franks is healthy he's he runs that one hundred of the time yeah on fourth and inches he's doing a quarterback uh, power there's no way they're putting the ball in Franks' hands to throw the ball there no way yeah hundred percent hundred percent 
Um, and our, guys, our defense is on net. It's not perfect, but when Kirby Smart can make a team one-dimensional, we're going to win that football game. Unless we turn the ball over eight times, we're going to win the football game. And that's what we did. We made them one-dimensional. And our defense is very, 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 very good. We're fourth in the country right now in rush defense. Only give them 77 yards a game. Still the only team in America that has not allowed a rushing touchdown through eight games. It's an unbelievable stat. It's probably going to end this week, I'm sure, now that I say that. Knock on wood. Uh, but uh, it's still just an unbelievable performance. But, I mean, I don't know. Like, the people who are talking about Florida as some offensive powerhouse are just not – looking at reality because I, I laid out the stats for you guys coming into the week. They were 52nd nationally in total offense coming to the game. That's good. ish it's fine. It's not great. Uh, but what Dan Mullen has done somehow he has fooled the national media into thinking he is some sort of offensive genius. And he's just not, like, he's not a bad offensive coach. He's a good offensive coach, but it's really like when he has elite quarterback play, like a true elite dual threat quarterback, a guy like Tim Tebow or Dak Prescott, he's good. He's really good. He's a really good coach in those situations. But outside of that, He's 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 okay, you know, and that's that's kind of what he, he's he's got a quarterback who, who who can't run the football consistently. They become a passing offense, and without the threat of the run game, Dan Mullen is not the offensive genius that the national media has made him out to be. He's just not. It's a reality, and I think the reality, the other reality here, is that Kirby Smart, in my opinion, is just a far better defensive coach than Mullen is an offensive coach. That's just just my take on the matter here. Uh, definitely. Um, all right. Next, I'm kind of sticking with the defense here for a second. Emery Dave has a question. He, um, he says, I've always thought that when he actually has more of a comment, he says, I've always thought that when Kirby wins it or wins it all, it will be with a stifling defense. So Kirby asked you this about our defense. Is this 2019 Georgia defense? Is it good enough to lead us to a national title this year? I think it's one of the more stifling defenses in the nation. Um, you got to, especially the way the teams have changed. Um, you're not going to see just these, hu- uh, the, the Alabama defenses of the past, um, realistically right now I mean maybe what Clemson was last year defensively but uh right now it's hard to find that that many defenses that are that much better than them um that are as well-rounded I think we're really good at stopping the run and I also think that we're pretty strong in the back end um except you know star position still a little bit of a question mark but we have a lot of experience um throughout the defense which helps yeah, I think everything you said there is absolutely correct. We you've got to be able to stop the run. Still today, you got to be able to stop the run, and we do. We are as good as anybody in the country at doing that. And we have a really good. I, I'm I'm with you. I think we have a really good secondary. I'm really confident in our back end. We'll talk about the star position here in a few minutes. We have a question about that. My only concern, and this defense is really, really, really good. I told you guys before the season, I thought it would be a top five caliber defense, and it's playing out that way. But my 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 concerns still are two things. I don't know if we're disruptive enough, and I also don't know if we're forcing enough turnovers. I think for us to win a national title, I don't know if you want to call them offensive limitations, but there are some limitations we have offensively. We're going to have to become more disruptive. We're going to, have to be able to force more turnovers defensively. And we, we've done that at times this year. We haven't done it consistently. So that's my only like minor – it's not even a criticism. It's just an observation that if there's, if there's an area where we need to improve, it's those two things defensively. But uh, I still think this, this, this defense is a national title caliber defense. There's no doubt – we just got to see if the offense can catch up in time for that to become a reality. I, we, we're now back in that conversation. we got a lot of work to do, but we're in that conversation. The defense certainly gives us at least a chance there. All right, so a lot of great things to talk about. Obviously, when you be a rival in a top-10 matchup, you do a lot of things right. And we've talked about a lot of those things. But as in any other game, it wasn't a perfect performance, and there are still plenty of areas that where we need to improve. So with that in mind, Norman asked the following. And thanks for the question, Norman. He asked, don't get me wrong. This was a great win, but should we be concerned about Florida's ability to limit our running game? Our offensive scheme seems to depend upon our ability to run the ball, and I'm not sure we can count on that type of passing game every week. Kurt, what do you think about that? Is that a fair concern moving forward? 
Um, no, because, I mean, first off, Florida was selling out to stop the run, and I think that Florida actually has been pretty good this year in stopping the run. LSU was having a little bit of success in the second half, but for the most part, they were beating Florida with the pass. Um, and especially in the second half, too, though, we were gashing them, I mean, pretty heavily, uh, getting more yards, especially in the second half, because we were wearing them down, and we were in, you know, we were doing what we want to do, where we were just pounding them with our offensive line. And especially... Let's be honest, when it comes to a rivalry game like that, on for two to three hundred plus yards and and everything like we did a couple years ago with Chubb and Sony breaking all these big runs, that's not realistically going to happen, especially in a top ten matchup. Um, but what we have to be able to do is run the ball well enough to open up the pass and pass well enough to open up the run to balance things out. And I thought we did that for the most part. Yeah, dude, everything you said is spot on. Uh, from a, like a schematic standpoint, X and O standpoint, let me tell you guys what they were doing. And this has become kind of in vogue with spread offenses uh, and, and how they kind of spread you out. And you have you don't have as many guys in the box. You don't want to stop the, the interior run game. And it's what we call the tight front. And, I mean, tight is in T-I-T-E. Um, basically what it is, it's where you have a, a nose guard playing a zero technique or a shade on the on the center, whether it's like a, like a one. And then you got two tackles playing four eyes. And four eyes, like the inside shoulder of the offensive tackle. Four is head up of the offensive tackle. Five is the outside shoulder. Four eyes, the inside. And what that does, those two, like you call them like basically our defensive ends, but defensive tackles, whatever. Those defensive ends in the four eye position on the inside shoulder of the defensive tackle, those two guys take the B gap, which is that gap right there between the guard and tackle. They take those B gaps. And what that does, you now you have two A gaps, right? Which is the, the gaps between the uh, center and the guard uh, on either side of the center, right? So that means you have three guys. You have two inside linebackers and one center to take the two A-gaps. So, Kerr, I'm not good at math, but you have two A-gaps, right? And you have three players. So does that mean one guy's unblocked, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's what it sounds like to me, right? Or at least you have an extra guy who's not necessarily assigned to like one of those particular gaps. So that's what they were trying to do to take away our inside zone. That's what they were doing. So what it does is it frees up the inside linebacker. You have one inside linebacker takes one A gap. You have the nose guard takes the other A, the other A gap, and the other inside linebacker with a tight front is designed to kind of be a free runner. If you go back and watch that game, that's what was happening. Like our line was actually blocking the guys they were assigned to block. Uh, and the guys in their area when we were playing zone, but they like, like it's been the case a lot this season when we've had issues trying to. And we have, when I say issues, that's a little bit uh, of a strong word there. But when the, when teams have had a little bit of success slowing us down at times in the run game, it's because they have free runners. It's not because our linemen are really getting beat consistently. That's not happening. They just have they outnumber us and they're able to to make the plays there. And that's kind of what happened in that tight front, kind of forced you to move east and west more. Um, and so that's what we started to do. We were we try to come out, run the inside zone line, which is kind of our base run play. They were in that tight front and made that difficult. So you started to see in the second quarter and on in the second half, as you mentioned, we started having a lot more success. We started to, to attack the perimeter, whether it was the outside zone, that little toss play, that shotgun, which is a kind of a new ring. We haven't seen that much of that all this year. So that was really good to see. That's kind of what they were doing from a defensive standpoint. And yes, they played their base front. They were, like you said, Curtis, they were selling out to stop the run. They played their base defense which is their base three, four. So like, like seven guys, uh, uh, you, you say like your front seven, that is what they were playing with. Most of the time nowadays, it's your front six. So you have to go out there and teams try to spread you out. You got to defend them. But they were in that base defense almost all game in standard downs. That's how third and long situations. Even when we were in 11 personnel, which is one tight end, one running back and three wide receivers, which almost every team in the country matches up that with, with a nickel package. They didn't do that. They kept their base defense on the field in all of those situations. They go back to that play again uh, early in the game when, when uh, Fromm kind of underthrew D-Rob a little bit. 
D Rob, it was a great play. We were in kind of the inside uh, slot fade there, and we had hit, we had D Rob matched up on their outside linebacker Jeremiah Moon, who had no chance to stay with D Rob, and that's why D Rob had about three steps on him. And then Sean Davis, their corner, or their, I'm sorry, their safety comes over and almost makes the interception, makes a play on the ball. But the reason that play was there is another. It was a great call by Coley because we got him matched up on that outside linebacker because they were in their base defense. When we were in 11 personnel, which no one does. But when you play us, teams do things very differently. They're playing that tight front. They're playing they're playing base defense. We're in 11 personnel. No one else does that against any other team in America. They do it against us because we like to run the football so much. So what we had to do is we had to be willing to throw against it, which we did. We, we threw, it was the first time in Jake Fromm's career, right, Kurt, that he threw, he threw 30 times when he won the game. I think that's, yep. I think that's right, right? Yeah, uh, so we, we started to throw more against that, against those looks. We had to. But you can't throw it 50 times a game. We saw what happened in South Carolina when that happens. You still have to run it into those looks at times to at the very least slow down their pass rush. Because Florida does have those elite pass rushers. And if we just drop back to throw it because they're, they're basically saying, hey, we're dare you to throw the football on, on us. Well, if we do that down for down for down, those pass rushers are just going to pin their ears back and come after us. It's going to be very hard to stop. So we have to at least try to run the football, even though it's tough sledding. And this is just kind of what we do. Kurt, you mentioned this. What we do. We wear you. We might not have a ton of success early in the game. We've done this for years, guys. You should know this by now. We run and run and run until the fourth quarter. We just are going to say we're going to wear you down. And we didn't late in that game, like you mentioned, start to have more success running the football. We had that long touchdown where they got called back on that Landers hole, which I mean, I only showed the replay like one, one and a half times. I think it was a questionable hole. I, I guess you could you could call that, but you can call that almost any time on a perimeter run play. And they just happened to call it there. So frustrating, but we had more success. But that's kind of what they were doing to, to stop us. So I don't know. And, and I'm sure other teams are going to start doing things similar to that, but we're going to have to find some counters off that. And right now, Based on the, off the adjustments I saw in this game, I feel confident that we're going to start making some more of those adjustments. Anytime you have Jake Fromm back there, I feel confident he's going to get us in the right place. So I'm not overly concerned about it. I will say that you know a couple. I mean, Missouri has a really good defense this year, guys. A really good rush defense, in particular, and we know all over that front. They're going to give us both those teams are going to give us a lot of issues, and we're going to have to find ways to counter what they're going to do to us. I'm sure they're going to take some lessons from what Florida was able to do uh, to kind of at least somewhat stifle our run game. All right, now another spot, Kurt. You were kind of alluding this a few minutes ago. Another spot on this team that I'm officially worried about. I'm saying I'm officially worried about this is the star position, and really just our ability to handle slot wide receivers and tight ends. It's been a consistent issue throughout the year. We've talked about it plenty. And Chris has a couple of questions. We're going to save one of Chris's questions for the official mailbag, mailbag episode later in the week. Uh, but he also had a specific question about the star position that I want to discuss today. He asked, the star position seems shaky, but what team in the SEC feels good about their star position? So, Kurt, I'm going to let you take that from there. What do you, What is your take right now on Mark Webb, Devon Wilson, that whole star position in general? Um, to me, their strengths is come up making tackles, especially in the run, but both of them are struggling in the pass. Um, the one thing I noticed, it seems, with Mark Webb is he is very indecisive. He's not aggressive. That's how he's getting beat. Um, they're beating him off the line and just in general making moves, and he's always playing catch-up. Now, Devon Wilson, I don't know. Um, he I think just, Devon is playing better, not, honestly. Yeah, he's just not getting a lot as many opportunities because I think the one thing that makes Webb attractive, especially against someone big like Pitts, was he was longer, and they maybe thought that that – would give them a better chance. Um, I don't know. Right now, I've, you know, I've, we've talked about in the past, but I've always wondered, is it an option to right now between DJ Daniel and Campbell to potentially put one of them in the slot in the star position? Um, because they're both longer, but right now between Devod and Mark Webb, they're very, very suspect when it comes to pass defense. 
Okay, a couple things. That's a great question, Kerr. Um, I I would say no on DJ Daniel from a coverage perspective. Because he, he's too small. He does too not small long against the run. He's because the star. It, it takes a special type of. It, it takes a unique body type to play that position. You have to be big enough and strong enough to handle to fill against the run, but you also also have to be able to cover. And those guys are hard to find. Mark Webb and Devon Wilson both feel, fit that body profile. DJ Daniel is probably a better cover guy. But I just don't know if he's it's – like, it's kind of like Tyreek McGee last year, yeah, right? Yeah, that, that's why Tyreek doesn't play as much in the starting. Right, that's why he doesn't play that spot anymore or play much at all because he just – like he wasn't an ideal fit for that. We wanted Devon last year to play that, but Devon towards ACL in spring and then, you know, it wasn't back to the Sugar Bowl. Uh, I would say – I it's a, let me say this about Mark Webb. Mark Webb does things the right way. This guy works hard. Uh, he's a really good dude from everything I've, I've ever heard about him. So I'm not trying to rip this guy at all. But – it. Something's got to improve there, okay? Now, part of that job is, and and I, I do think that Chris is right. You look at some of these other teams across the country, like LSU. I, I, I'm telling you right now, the way to in Alabama, both the way to attack those both those defenses is from the slot position because that is the weakness in their secondary. Car, Kerry Vince and Kari Vince, how you say his first name for LSU, that guy's a liability for them in the secondary. That is who you have to attack. I think you can say the same thing about Shane Carter at times for Alabama, maybe to a lesser degree, but I think you can say that. And part of that is because it's a tough position to play because you're a little bit bigger than your average corner because you also have to be able to fill against the run. But the, the guys you're guarding against, the, in the, guarding against in the slot, those guys are usually quicker and shiftier. That's a tough matchup, right? And also on top of that, when you're defending guys that are coming from the slot position, those guys are playing off the line of scrimmage almost all the time. Therefore, what that means is you cannot jam them off the line of scrimmage. They're getting a free release. When you're playing outside, like Eric Stokes or DJ Daniel or Tyson Kimmel, whoever it is, you can get up and play press press coverage. You can play, you know, press man. You can't really do that as much from the slot. It's tough. Those guys get free releases. When you have a guy as good as as Kyle Pitts, when he's spread out, even when he's at the tight end position, if you have a guy like Freddie Swain and you can't get your hands on him, and they're basically running little option routes there, that is very difficult to stop. And so, Chris, you're right. Like a lot of teams, it, they have issues there. Like very few teams feel great about the star position. Outside maybe Clemson because they kind of use Isaiah Simmons there. He he, he moves over the field, the linebacker, star, safety, whatever. Um, but it's just a couple of reasons. It's hard to find that body type, and they're going against – they're a little bit bigger, and they're going against guys who are quicker and shiftier, and they, you can't really press them on a scrimmage. So it's just a tough matchup, and you got guys as good as Pitts and Swain. It just makes it tough. It makes it really tough. So I don't want to kill Mark Webb. We, have, we still have to get better there. I would say here's what I would like to see from Mark Webb. My concern for him is I don't think he plays the ball in the air well enough. Um, like, like the touchdown of Van Jefferson, right? Like, Webb was kind of in position there. He just didn't make the play on the ball. Van Jefferson went up and made the play on the ball. So that's where I think he needs to improve. Some other things, like, it's just tough. But uh, I, I would say, like, honestly, I think Devon Wilson might be playing a little bit better there. Uh, honestly, right now, I know he sees the field a lot in their dying package. I might look at Devon Wilson a little bit more in that star position moving forward have maybe Webb come back in that money look, which is uh, our, our dime defender that we bring in. That, but we'll see. I mean, I, it's just it is a tough spot to play, but we have to get better. And really, linebackers have to get better de- defending um, slot receivers, defending tight ends because teams. Look, we we saw against Cole Komet with with Notre Dame. We saw it with with Pitts, who's really good. Don't get me wrong. Hey guys, Albert O's coming up next week. Albert O's really good. Okay, at tight end, he's really really good. That concerns me. And you know that Missouri has seen some of the issues we've had defending those those plays and those in that position. So you better believe they're going to be coming at us. They're going to target us in that in that way. There's no doubt about it. So we got we have to find an answer, and we got to find an answer very very quickly. But um, all right, guys, that does it for today here on the Glory UGA podcast. We tried to cover as much as we could in this game. Obviously, there's a lot to talk about. I'm sure we missed something. But if there if there's something you want want us to talk about that we missed today that we didn't get to. 
feel free to hit us up on Twitter. That account is at glory underscore UGA. You can also email us at glorygapodcast at gmail.com. And we'll include any questions or comments that you guys have that we did not cover today on our official mailbag show later on in the week. But it was a great win, guys. Absolutely had to have it. I mean, I, I, I'll, I'll be honest with you guys. I, I was I was feeling good last night, man. I'm, I've kind of come to my senses here after that South Carolina loss and how bad that was. And I, I've kind of just learned you got to live it up, man. You got to really enjoy uh, the, the good times because there's going to be tough times as college football. You're going to have some times like that. So when good things happen, we got to live it up. So I hope everyone enjoyed their weekend and enjoy the, this next week. We got to get ready for Missouri and turn our attention there. And we'll be doing that the rest of this week. But uh, thanks for listening, guys. For Curtis, I'm Tyler. And as always, go dogs.